Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Munoz, CEO of the experience agency, D-Flash. Each week on our show, we bring along game changers who are changing the way things are done, and this week's episode is no different. I am super excited to have Mahogany Phillips, activist, model, and soon-to-be author on the show. She has an incredible story, and I think everyone will really appreciate hearing. Take a listen. Hey, Mahogany. Hello, hello. It's so great to have you on the show, and uh, as I said before, every single show, I start with the same question, it's always fascinating to me to see where people go with this question, and I feel like yours is going to be no different. So, Mahogany, what was your first job? My first job, it happened to be a paper route, <laughs> and I was like, okay, we cannot do this, because it's early in the morning, I'm freezing cold, I have to roll up all of these papers with these rubber bands and this is not this is not it this is not it I was constantly seeking out okay what is it because my mom was like okay everybody got everybody has to work around here you have to have a little something <laughs> you know what I mean so if it was like during the fall like you know it was like the paper route thing if it was the summer it was collecting cans with my brothers or uh, trying to cut grass where I lived there was a lot of hills so none of these jobs were working out for me so I asked my mom, can I start modeling? And that's where things kind of like took a turn for the better for me. And how old were you? <laughs> and how old were you? I was about seven. You started modeling when you were seven? I was about seven years old. Wow. You were like, I want to do modeling at seven. But I was like seven years old. I was like seven years old. Because we were, we were geared to, you know, it was just like, everybody, you had to do something. So it was like, not only it was just you know to keep busy, but you know she she wanted to instill in us hard work. She is a single parent. She worked from three to eleven, so it was just like that's all we knew, you know. And I mean, we were also living in a time of poverty. Um, I mean, everybody was poor. We were living in the projects. I mean, you know what I mean. It's like sort of suburban projects, so it's like. Um, but uh, yeah, you just you know. You figure it out. Yeah, you figure it out. So, okay, so you start kid modeling, and then you have an incredible journey. So, so you become a model, and it becomes, that becomes the, the, your real profession. And along the way, you've obviously had to travel the world and see all sorts of amazing things, I'm guessing. Well, I left Ohio at the age of 19, and I went to Chicago. I have a funny story because um, I called up uh, my first job outside of Cincinnati, Ohio, was with uh, Ebony Man Magazine. Um, I was in Ohio. I called up. Uh, they, I guess they were having a slow day. And it was like the depth of winter. You know what I mean? Everybody was having bad weather everywhere. And they actually picked up my phone call, and they were like, okay, uh, we've got this little black boy on the phone from Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, and uh, and uh, at the time, I hadn't transitioned, so they were saying he on the phone and he must be he's a model and this and that so they put on the uh, the uh, assistant um, that was handling out her name was I'll never forget her name her name was Doris Davenport she gets on the phone and I tell her hi Miss Davenport my name is 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 Ronald Phillips and I'm here in Cincinnati my name was Ronald at the time I was born Ronald Phillips she's I'm here in Cincinnati Ohio I'm here in Cincinnati Ohio and I like to come to I know I can be a big model in the big city well, she thought that was just like the funniest thing in the world. So she said, okay, I'm going to put you on the phone with our editor, Oolong Smith. So I said, all right, I'm, I'll hold on. So she put, he's like, this is Mr. Smith. Hi, Mr. Oolong Smith. Well, my name is Ronald Phillips, and I'm a local model here in Cincinnati and everything like that. And I just saw Eddie Murphy on the cover of Ebony Man magazine. Now, I just know that I can be a big model, and that would be just fantastic for your magazine. So I've always dealt this, had it, even if I had an agent, I've always done this like self-promotion. I don't wait for people to make don't phone calls. Anybody. I don't make for people, wait for people to make phone calls for me. I'll just call you up. And um, so they just thought it was, they were tickled to death. I mean, they just thought this was just the funniest thing because I got through the gatekeeper. So yeah, I was like, okay, there's the gatekeeper. So you know, that takes you back in time. You know, like this is 80s, okay. So like there's the gatekeeper, there's gonna be the secretary. And if I can win her over, then I can possibly get onto the next person. So I knew how kind of like a little bit how it went. And, um, and so I, boom, I'm already talking to 
All right, cool. Well, kid, when you get here, you know, you come on up here. You let us know when you get here. I said, well, all right. I'm on my way. That's all I needed to hear. So I told my mom, well, they want me. So that changed from me going and them calling up. Well, I called them up and this and that. But they, now they want me. They haven't even met me yet. So she was like crying or whatever. And the whole night is my first time going away. I bought a cot from like one of those military cots. Oh, my God. Got a Greyhound bus ticket. They got me on the bus. I slid on a sheet of ice all the way up there on the Greyhound bus. Long behold, I go on my birthday to see them. I call them. Hi, I'm in town, Miss Smith. I mean, um, Miss Davenport. So they just were shocked. They couldn't believe you got the shit up. They were just like, what? They were like, yeah, well, come on over. They couldn't wait to meet. We, we couldn't wait. We can't, we can't wait to meet you. So I, I'm just sliding on all the way over there. I was just so happy. So I get there. I had nothing. I had been looking for jobs. So I went out. I got a job at, right away at the funny firm, funny farm comedy club on Grand Street. I'll never forget it. And I'm living on Jackson Street. And I'm living with this white model friend of mine um, from Cincinnati. He had actually went up there previously. His name was Jason Hunnell. And he had done very, very, very well. He became this huge model, like within a few months. You know, he was shooting with Skripnesky. And Skripnesky was this huge photographer that was based in Chicago. And he was shooting, like, all of the furs. And he was shooting, like, Cindy Crawford and, like, Iman and, like, all these different famous people, you know what I mean? So Jason Head was shooting with like all these people and I was like, oh my God, you're a supermodel now and you're just like, you're so amazing, you know? And I got there and then we didn't have, he was living in the studio in the Presidential Towers on Jackson Street. And I was like, well, um, well dude, we don't have any furniture. And he's like, he said, well, it's not about that. <laughs> it's about the address here. Of course. I said, oh, you're right. Okay, you're right, right. Cause I, you know, just let's not ask any more questions or whatever. Let's just be with the cool people. Seem be cool, and it's not about that here. You're not home. It's about you sleep on the carpet. Nobody's gonna know. You live in a presidential tower, right? Okay. Got my job at the funny firm comedy club. Maybe we can get some furniture up in here or something real soon or whatever. But it, all right. Play by you got the roll with the punches. Okay. Cash home with your trooper. So then I go over there, I go, and lo and behold, I go to uh, Ebony headquarters, and um, they were just so nice, and they, and then they were just so shocked. I had my little portfolio, you know, from Cincinnati or whatever. It was different market, so it wasn't right. quite on the level, but, you know, yeah. they saw that, I guess they saw potential in me. And uh, before I got back home to the Presidential Towers, that's when they booked me for my first job, for my first national wow. magazine and I was very honored because it was with a black magazine it was with Ebony Man magazine I was been sitting up in my room and I said God I gotta make it out of here and I know I can do this I saw Eddie Murphy on the cover and then boom here I am and now I got booked for this job or whatever and then did Ebony and then three months later it comes out and then I'm back at home everybody's shocked the magazines that can't quit grocery stores and everybody's knocking on my door like hey. yo I saw you and <laughs> you know what I mean just the whole thing so that there, to say that is to say it let me know that, okay, I can actually go out here outside of Ohio on, an, on a bigger platform and level and I can actually achieve my dreams. And then everyone was telling me, you're very editorial, you need to go to Europe. So when I came back home, that's when I decided, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work, I'm going to save my money and then go to Europe. And that's when I went to Europe and I did the circuit, of course, Milan, Paris, London, and then to fast forward, I did that a few two times where I did Milan, Paris, London and came back. And then I the second time I was like, well, that was Europe the first time. I was, you know, after I was just like, okay, whoa, this is like, whoa, okay. <laughs> this is a lot. I mean, you know what I mean? People are going over there when you're like in your teenage years, you know what I mean? You just got to like starve, get through it, just get do whatever you do. You know what I mean? And then when I came back the second time, I had thicker skin, tougher, ready to go, and then it was interesting because I was in Italy, then I went to Paris, and I went did some things over there, and then two white guys that passed me by said, you should go to South Africa. I thought, oh my goodness, well, that's, that's, very, that's very mean because, I mean, like, they're having a lot of problems with apartheid at the time, and you know what I mean? Like, I didn't even see them, but I saw flashes of them just go past me and say it. Didn't see their faces. Just heard them say that to me. And I, I say that to the 
I know now that those were like angels passing me by. And then when I, I went out to London, I was with Nev model, Nev's model agency. And then the white guy comes in and, and then he's like, hey, you know, we're going to be best friends. It's one of the models in the agency and the whole nine. And funny enough, you know, he tells me, you should go to South Africa, mate. So I said, why would you say that? He said, well, I'm part South African and part English or whatever, but you do very, very well. So I told my agency, send my photographs to South Africa. They sent them to South Africa. They said, are you sure? Because I've had a lot of dealings with a lot of agencies there. They really don't know for you as a black person who's never sent a black person to South Africa. Wow. We've had some of the other white models go to South Africa, but you are a black model and they're having a lot of problems with apartheid. They have a lot of political problems. Are you sure? So yes, I'm from black kids from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I want to go and I want to have this experience. They sent my photos and they were just telling me overnight, just okay, when can we get her? Where can he get you? You know, next. And so I just the agency really didn't know. They said, well, I said, well, just go to the best response or the best email. Like you know, well, okay. So then we went from there, best response, and I said, well, tell them you know like they can have a couple jobs waiting or something and I would feel better. So the one got me a cover of the magazine and a Benson Hedges ad. I said, and we said, well, let's go with that agency. And we went with that agency. And then I went over and I became a supermodel overnight because I went from starving in London to living in an abandoned apartment where there was wood over the windows with another model um, to um, actually going to Belgium with, it was still dark and then by light by the next day I was in South Africa literally and they had promoted me so much that everything was so visual because at the time there were only three television stations there was one in English one in Afrikaans and one that had like a mixture of other cities were like it was like more like a they were like sort of like a, it was like a Comcast station like Comcast where it was like a mixture because in South Africa they have um, the black race is a mixture of many different tribes so there's um, so many different tribes that they don't see each other as like a black race, as a black and brown, as whole. We are the same um, as we do in America. They look at each other as um, you're from a different tribe, you're from a different tribe. So we are separate. We have nothing in common. We are like a, almost like a different complete race. So, um, and then when you have um, such when you throw such a group in like a small town like such as Soweto um, where there's poverty and everything like that that's where you have the the kill for animosity and food and and also stuff like that like that because they're one tribe is better consider themselves better than the other tribe and um, so there was you had that going on and then um, you had a lot of um, suppression where education, where um, they had been suppressed for so many years, so they didn't speak English. So um, the, everything was very, very visual to everyone. Um, everything is very, very visual. So for me, being black American, um, they looked at at the time as um, America is like heaven, yes. something that they dream to place to come to. And I had to tell a lot of people to the side, like, we got, you got what, they, what you heard, <laughs> you know what I mean, like, you know, and I had a big problem with that because I was like, that's not true. You guys are not being told the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not united as a black race in, in, in America, and we have many just as problems just as you, as, as you guys do, and um, <laughs> why do you so much, uh, like, dream, you know, to... You know what I mean? You need to be told the truth. So I had to tell a lot of people the truth. And uh, I felt a lot of people were deserving of a lot of jobs, more so than me. I felt that they were um, physically fit as far as their features or as far as um, just a better fit for the campaign and a better fit for the job. But I would get the job because I'm American black. Yeah. Because I'm American black, I can sell more product. So I was the connoisseur brandy person. So I was all over billboards and posters and and, and, and magazines and, and all the, and I would be like, you know, and I started actually going to castings late, which is something I don't do. I'm a very early person. So my agency was like, you know, they said you were late, like,
So I purposely would be late. I would wait outside the casting until all the other Zulu models went in. Oh, wow. So that they would have a chance. Because I knew they were going to book me. And I was like, this is, it was almost pre-like done already, but we're going to have a casting anyway. I mean, like, I already, they were already, t like, I was already finding about what they were actually doing with, like, what was the job going to be right. about, you know, so I said, and then, but they were having these casting anyway, and I thought that was very, very, very unfair, or I wasn't participating in something that was very unfair. So that used to bother me a lot, and I learned a lot about marketing, about, um, and how people move products, and, and all these other how long did you stay in South Africa? I stayed in South Africa for a year today. I was be there for three months, but you know, I was having such a great time. I was working and I was like, I'm not going anywhere. You know, <laughs> I am not leaving. I'm starving. You put up before I got down and I'm not going anywhere. You know, um, and I was making a huge difference. I was making also this political difference because people were seeing me dress different and they were like, you know, oh my goodness, you dress the way you want to dress. And I was like, yeah, you can dress the way you want. <laughs> and they're like, you can walk the way you want to walk. Yeah you, yeah, you can walk the way you want to walk. Like, you have your action, your signature walk is what you should be working on. Your signature look, what makes you you. You know, I was always seeking out, trying to seek out, at the time, underneath, I was trying to also seek out my identity, which has led me to being transgender. Um, now, today, you know, it was always seeking out who I am as a person because I always knew that there was more to me um, beyond, I would say like beyond he, he or she. It's like a being that is, um, that, you know, and that's why I love being transgender because I can be just me. I can have my, well, finally I have, Okay, so we're fast forwarding, but <laughs> Go ahead. but finally I'm in the right body physically because I have transitioned. Um, I did become the first transgender woman to get um, the uh, facial feminization plastic surgery passed by law a few year ago, years ago in 2016, at the end of 2016. And um, I actually had my surgery March the 1st. Uh, 2017 here in Mount Sinai, New York, with Dr. Justine. Um, at the time, they were just starting a transgender program. It was just sort of getting on the way. They didn't really have, they still don't have too many doctors to do this type of surgery in America. And um, they were just doing the top surgery, which was the uh, breast and the bottom surgery, um, which is my vagina. And then I had those two surgeries done. And then um, I had my breast done of December 5th, 2015, of 16, I'm sorry. And then I had my uh, vaginal plastic, I'm sorry, did I say 15? 15, 2015, December, I had my breast done. Mm -hmm. 2016 of September 13th, I had my vaginal plastic. Okay. And then I was in, finally in the right body, but um, I was, there was still a fight for the facial feminization surgery where they were considering it to be cosmetic at the time and um, they needed to put someone to explain why it's, it's so important. important to have this surgery done um, for safety reasons. You know, there are a lot of transgender folks that when you are out in these streets, uh, the streets, they play by a different set of rules. So when you're out in the streets, um, you know, then, um, you know, you're trying to get to A to from A to B, and you're going about your day, whereas you're passing someone that may be physically attracted to you. So I would run into challenges where I'm in the hood. I know not a challenge in Manhattan, um, but a lot of challenges, not from white people, not from Spanish people, but particularly from my own race, where I'm in the hood, um, and I'm like making my way to the train or whatever, where there's someone that, um, you know, someone will glance at your face, but then they will just go right towards your, your body. So they're physically attracted to you, but then they work their way up from the body and they see an Adam's apple. Well, then that's a problem because then they went from wanting to uh, be, holler, at you. holler at you to now wanting to fight you. You know what I mean? So, like, you them to they're gay. Right. So it's like all of this is they're trying to compute this all in a matter of seconds where you're just really gearing up for your meeting. You know, just trying to your day. myself, 
I was busy trying to go into Manhattan or go wherever I needed to go to get these laws passed. So I'm trying to walk past the liquor store and the lotto store. We all know which ones I'm talking about because they're in every community. And then the crowd that's standing outside of there because that's how they're starting their day because they don't really have their purpose together. So they don't know their purpose. So they're just like sort of lost souls. So they're just like chilling, hanging out. And a lot of people want to give you a problem because you know where you're going and what you're doing. So they were like, well, they're like, well, um, well, who the fuck she thinks she is? That, you know what I mean? Like, well, oh, she, she all that? Yeah. You know what I mean? And you just trying to make you your way through the crowd. Know. You know what I mean? Um, you can't show fear because you, when you walk out to the road, then, then you show fear. So then you just like a long wolf or whatever. You have to like sort of make your way through the crowd to show not fear. Why would I show fear to my own race? That's silly to me. That's stupid. And um, I know that you just, you, that's just, you can't show fear, you know what I mean? So it went from there, and then it goes into a clowning situation where I've always been good at jokes. And then we go, you know what I mean? So we can clown, I can do this. So I have a few minutes on my hands, because I'm always early. You know what I mean? So I'm a clown you. You try to clown me, I'm a clown you with jokes. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And then I'm physically tall or whatever. So I was always the type of, you know, maybe like, okay, well, maybe I might not try her. Right. You know what I mean? She might want to piece me. You know what I'm saying? So those things I never really had, a, you know what I mean? And when people see that you're strong or whatever, um, oh, then you're not out there like vulnerable, like, you know what I mean? Then people tend not to really try you. Um, but but yeah, so for you, like, you know, because there's been so much violence against black trans women right. here in the U.S. And why do you think it was? It took so long for them to understand, like, what you were saying? Because, like, like, you're the first person to actually explain it to me. Because uh, people, why. I think, well, now, okay, well, that has been the situation, but now we are coming into a, um, we're coming into a new decade, okay? So now what has happened is, is that um, a few years ago, uh, in 2014, when they had Laverne Cox on the cover of Time Magazine, mm -hmm. um, they called it the tipping point. So, um, it was like more so like uh, actors and, and, and artists and things like that they were interviewing. And they were sort of like, they were explaining the transgender experience to a certain degree. And it was sort of that, that tipping point yeah. or whatever, where people were like, really kind of the tipping point, I would say like people were kind of like, okay, hearing about it again, you know? And then we had also another high-profile person, um, Caucasian person, um, Kate, transition, okay? And then she made a reality show where they went roller skating at the end and everything like that, okay? But it didn't really explain... For the everyday trans person. Right, for the everyday trans person, okay? And then, so now what, the, what we had is in, in 2016, we started to... Um, what we have at Mount Sinai Hospital, we have the um, the center where they have now Dr. Justine has come. You know, by the way, Dr. Justine did something very noble. You know, they ask every single uh, surgeon at Mount Sinai Hospital to do these transitional surgeries, and uh, they all said no. Every single doctor, and he was the only one who said yes. You know, so he had to, if you think about, take a huge, huge risk. Um, uh, pay cut as far as then he had to also be trained. He got trained by Marcy Bowers. Marcy Bowers is one of the lead top surgeons. She's also transgender as well. Um, she was delivering babies before she actually started to do the surgery herself for, for folks. And she's done numerous surgeries, male to female and female to male. And she actually, uh, Dr. Ting went out to Colorado to be trained under Marcy Bowers. So he spent some time out there being trained by Marcy Bowers. And after the first time I understand, he felt that he could really, he could do this. But he immediately started thinking of different ways to better the surgery. Um, he's just that way. <laughs> I can always improve this. <laughs> yeah, and he's, he's an amazing, amazing spirit, an amazing person. I get emotional when I talk about him. And... Um, so 2016 is when we developed the center, and we started the center. I was a part of that, and um, I, and being the first, uh, I was the first one that he actually did the facial female sur surgery on. That was his first surgery 
that he did by himself. He wow. was doing sort of like noses, and they were like sort of practicing with people like, okay, well, you know, Marcy was there and insistence, okay, let's do a chin, let's try a, you know what I mean? So he was like sort of with me, and um, and they were very hands-on, so it's not like they were just like experimenting on people, like, like yeah, like, come on through, you know. No, they <laughs> spent a you, lot yeah. of time on training, folks. And so, but uh, this is first, and uh, I just felt very, uh, a, a you know, from meeting him the first time, I told him, from the first day we met, I told him, I'm, I'm going to be the first, when he told me that they're only doing the top surgery and the bottom surgery, and I told him, you know, well, I'm, I plan on going back to work with modeling, you know, and going back with, with the rest of the girls, and he said, well, they're not doing that at the time, Medicaid is not covering that, let's stay focused on what they are covering, I said, I'm going to be your first one, Dr. Teen, and I told him that on the first day. And he actually asked me though on the first day, which are you interested in doing a documentary film or a film that we're do possibly doing or whatever, I'll have a friend of mine call you. And I said, yeah, sure, I ain't got that much to do right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, I told him, yeah, because I want to spend some time too on getting these laws changed. So getting it back to when we started then in 2016, the center, and we started to do these surgeries, then that what, what happened was is that now we are able to have all these people transition into these people that they have for years and years and years needed to be who they are, okay? So where you've had, had to come up with thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars and go to different countries, travel to different countries and get also you know, paperwork mm -hmm. to get surgeries done, you know? And then come back, and then um, sometimes, you know, like, you need uh, revisions and all this sort of thing, so you don't have to go back to that country and, you Spend know. more money. Right, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just very, but very, like if right. Just, if you're just a person who, who's living their life and wants to live in the body that they know they need to be in, actually getting the surgery has been such a nightmare. Yes, yes. So there is a, right, and so there is a protocol where you do have to go through a mental uh, evaluation where you have to see uh, a number of doctors, you have to get letters in line, um, and all of those things. They don't just come out the gate and start doing surgeries on you. They have to make sure that you are fit for the surgery um, physically, medically, mentally, uh, because transitioning is about um, mental physical and spiritual so they have to make sure that you're a right candidate for this okay uh, so upon being you know considered and and approved for being a candidate for this um, then you go through these these surgeries so what these surgeries do is um, is rebuild your self-esteem okay so what you have now is we have like this new generation now of, of lots of people um, that are now getting these surgeries and now getting their self-esteem back. So now what you have is a new crusade of people that are out in the world and they are telling, we're, what we're doing now is we're letting the world know that we um, have morals, we have values, um, we have goals. You know, we're not prostitutes um, changing the narrative because back in the 80s, um, what people saw is like a transgender person or uh, was someone they thought of someone in the working in the meatpacking district in right. 14th Street behind trucks, and that's what you thought of as a transgender person. And um, and people will say, well, well, why did those girls have to do that, or why were they doing that? Well, a lot of these girls will have to do that because they were kicked out of their homes for being considered to be gay or considered to be trans. So, in a, especially in a black household, they were like, uh-uh, you can't be here with that. You got to go with that. Right. <laughs> up out of here. Yeah. I don't know where you're going, but you got to go up out of here with that. You know what I mean? So you were just kicked out of your house. So you're like, well, where to go? Okay, well, where are you going to work? Because when you go to welfare, you get like food stamps and you get some type of a system. But those, those food stamps only last you for, if you have a whole month, those food stamps are only going to last you a good maybe two weeks. Okay, what you do. maybe a good week if you didn't have to cash some of them in, okay, to get other things, other, uh, uh, why would you have to cash some of your food stamps in? To get uh, lotion, to get other <laughs> things, means for your household, 
You know what I mean? Because it's about survival. It's about real survival out here, people. And so, um, you know, it was it was very, very difficult. You could not get employment. The people were not hiring trans people at just regular jobs, you know, uh, where you were getting, like, a minimum wage, even. They were not, they didn't understand it. They were not, they were just like, you know, so there was no place that you had to do what you had to do. You had to do what you had to do, or other folks just chose to stay in the closet with that, live the norm, you know what I mean? I had modeling. I was blessed that I had a modeling. So I just did with my modeling thing. But at the same time, I was suffering too. I was suffering because I was on sets and I was playing these roles where I had to play. Um, it was cool for a while. Up until I got about 30 years old. And then once I came back from America, I'm going back and forth, but when I came back from, from South Africa, I had had all of these magazine things like I did console brandy I done cigarettes at the age of 23 whereas in America you had to be 25 to advertise liquor right, and cigarettes right. I was 23 so I was ahead of the game I arrived in New York City I had a whole big portfolio of everything but now I was a big fish in, in a in a big pond I was no longer like a big fish in a small pond like South Africa so everyone was like all right well you need a job so I went to go get a job at a coffee shop in Union Square, and I was a waiter. Of course. You know what I mean? So then it was like, okay, and then I got some food stamps on the side. You know what I mean? Because I'm waiting tables and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, um, but people were, it was just, I was struggling because I was getting a lot of commercials and things like that, but they wanted me to play this, now they wanted me to play the young dad. So that was a huge problem because now it was like, okay, now we're getting into a gender thing. Whereas now you want me to be somebody's dad, young dad, playing a role on a set. And it would get particularly hard throughout the day because I would play these roles, but then I would go home and I wasn't quite sure. I didn't feel comfortable in my own body, but yet I had to go on set and play these roles where I had to play this male-dominated role all day long, being a, a husband or whatever. So that became very challenging for me. And then where I just came to a point where I just had to give it up. I had to walk away from it completely. So I literally gave up a successful modeling career um, to basically go on welfare or at times. And with other times, I would be in California and I worked for AT&T. That was a good run. I did a week, worked at AT&T for a long time selling advertising space here in New York and then in, in, in California selling, um, at the time there was long distance calling. So I did um, business to business and I was very successful. And then I went from business to business to residential. I'm very good at speaking. And, uh, and, and anyway, to fast forward back with 2016, where, where, I, was, where I had transitioned and where we are as a state, as a people, um, this now is a movement. As transgender people, now what we are doing is we're stepping out and letting people know we have these, you know, we have all these values and goals and everything like that. So we're letting, we're able now, with the surgeries done now, it's, 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 we're able to just be just who we are. Day. Right, and so for me, that's what transitioning is. Um, it's different for everyone because what the world is going to come to find out, like they did in the '90s with gay people, when they seemed like there was seemed to this reemergence. So gay has been around for years and for centuries. However, there was just like this reemergence at the end of the '90s or in the middle of the '90s, um, where it was like we were finding out, oh, Ellen's gay, and oh my God, you know, gay people. Then it was like. Queer for this straight guy, and so you, you know it's it like more commercial more and media and everything. And like that. pose now, right? Like now, so there were shows developed and everything like that. So that's what's happening right now with the transgender experience now, where there's these television shows that are being developed, and we just did a movie, a film, a documentary film, Born to Be, which is very monumental. It's about uh, the transgender, not only just the experience. But it shows everything, the mental, the physical, the spiritual side of transitioning. So that's what's new and what hasn't been told out there before. Um, and it shows um, Dr. Ting where he came and um, where he had, where the, the patient and the, and the doctors come together. Your and, family. Right, and, and how much we all as a people have in common just as humans you know, um, on the spectrum. And now I have to say um, one thing that you mentioned before, whereas like, you know, it's great, it's fantastic because going into this new decade, we're able to show now that we're not victims. 
We are not victims. I'm so tired of that. We are not victims. I have to, you know, we're not, we're not going to be victims no more. We're not doing that. We're not signing up for it. We're not taking it no more. You know what I mean? What we're doing, I tell everybody, you know what I mean? They always say, and they always cut me out at the end of their uh, interviews. And they say, well, is there anything that you'd like to say for our transgender youth? And I always say, you know, I did 2020 ABC News and they completely cut out. They said, you know, I said, you know, I would suggest to anyone that get they get some martial arts underneath their belt. Because although you do get the surgery, you will be tried out there. Because at the end of the day, whether you're trans or not, everyone just wants to be happy in their own skin in their own body but there seems to be some sort of animosity or jealous when you see a person that is trans or anyone for that matter that knows themselves and they're comfortable in their own skin and they're just happy you know um then people want to strike they want to lash out because they're like it's like something that they want to that you have that they that doesn't cost anything that they want to achieve and they want to obtain that and yeah, it's, 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 it's similar, I think, you know, to where, you know, um, as black women, we get catcalled. We always ball get catcalled, right? Yes. And what ends up happening? It's like, what, do you respond because you're afraid if you don't, that person's going to jump you and attack you? Or do you, ha- or do you have to keep, or do you have to run, run away? And it's like, I'm, like, I'm just trying to get to work. Right. I'm right. literally just trying to get to work. Right. And right. so it's like, so I, I would honestly agree. I, I would agree with you because, like, there are always going to be people who have something else and they project that on you. And so, you know, it's the world we live in. Right. And, and you know, in the old days, it was if a black man was whistling at a white girl, supposedly, that could get them killed. I would and say, as a people, as, as a people, one, one thing I do want to say is for just for, for, for our community, for black people, we need to stop. We need to stop this, y'all. We need to stop. How can we change as a future, as a whole, as 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 a as a as a as a race, as a human race? We need to show more compassion towards each other. Remember empathy. Yeah. We need to turn this thing around. We have a chance. With a new decade, it's not too late. It's never too late. And people are like, "Well, I'm just one person. One person can. You can do a lot as one person. It's like it's like a ripple effect." And I actually believe, like now. I've been believing that it's possible, but I even really now see now even more so because I see everything that God has allowed me to do that I said, oh my goodness, well, how are you going to, I said, well, I'm going to talk about this when I get the chance to talk about how hard it was for me to get past the lotto store and how past the liquor store, you know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to have my day and that day, when that day comes, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to tell the truth, Mahogany. You know what I mean? Because there was a day, one day, you know, where I was going and I was just like trying so hard. And I'm like, here I am. I'm out here trying to fight for people's rights. You know what I mean? And I got so overwhelmed by the time I got to the train. I was just like, fuck it. And I turned around and went back home. And I let that be the turning day where I was like, no, man, that if you let them do that, then they win. You have to keep fighting. You have to use this and use this to keep going and keep fighting the good fight. Because and now I'm glad that I was able to do that because now what it's done is someone in Brown in Beverly Hills that can afford this surgery, someone in Brownsville that is not in a financial social financial situation can also get the surgery. So that's even the playing field. So now, just like somebody in Beverly Hills, somebody in Brownsville can also go out and achieve their dreams. They can put transitioning behind them. They can go out and physically get the surgery. They're no longer isolating inside their apartment, walking from mirror to mirror all day long. They are able to go and do school, do whatever they want to, whatever they want to do to achieve their dreams. But I have to say, as a people, we need to stop discouraging each other and encourage each other. We have to stop it. We have to stop putting each other down because... We put each other down. We put each other down so much as a people. And these are not people that are outside of our race that are doing it. It's us doing it to ourselves. And we have to stop this right now. There is a call to arms, and it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with you looking in the mirror and changing your thinking and 
help change the perception because we, we just can't, we just can't do this. And transitioning for me, like what is transitioning for me? Transitioning for me is like um, knowing now I'm able to be free. Now I'm able to, my purpose now is, well, I have many different things going on right now, but as far as the trans thing is to, uh, to show folks, um, you know, I'm just me. Once you become happy with who you are, uh, then I think that's when you finally transition. There's a lot of folks that get the surgery that are unhappy still after the surgery because they are still trying to um, conform to what society thinks is um, uh, their standards. Mm -hmm. So you are trying to rise to their standards of thinking instead of just being who you are, um, accepting the good, the bad, the ugly, and, and just being who you are. And I think when you accept all those things about you, the beautiful things, the wonderful things, the things that are not so perfect, um, that's when you truly transition. Because when you think about it, and this is the one thing I had to accept also too as well, I had alopecia very, very badly. Um, and after I physically transitioned, I felt there was something wrong still. There was something, not wrong, but off. And I still was wearing my wig. And I said, well, what is it? What is it, Mahogany? And I said, well, you know what the hell it is. And I said, oh, oh God, really? Really? And I'm like, yeah, it's time. You need to take that wig off. And Dr. Ting used to tell me, it's like a curtain. It's like hiding your beautiful face, and it's like a curtain. And I was, I have to tell you, I was so damn uncomfortable. I mean, the wig looked nice and everything, and I would change it up and everything like that. But the one thing I learned from early on with acting, all these things go together. From, from you know, um, especially with extra work, but I was starting in, out in L.A. and I was getting a lot of extra work at first and they were just bumping me up and bumping me up to, to be with the principals, you know what I mean? And uh, that's how it became SAG. And, 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 they, and they said, you know, and continuity. Of continuity was very important. So I said, well, my goodness. I said, I keep changing up this hairstyle and this hairstyle and this hairstyle. So I went from a bob, a red bob to long brown and each time, Laura, I would change my wig. I would change, like, it would be a fresh start. Like, you know what I mean? Because you could tiger one wig or one look. But when I changed the wig, my personality would change. So if I had curly hair, then I would get more bubbly. Mm -hmm. Or if I had more, like, longer hair to one side and short on the one side, more uh, avant-garde or, you know, like, 80s to cut or whatever like that, it would be, like, more uh, cutting edge. You know, so I would feel like these different people, you know, whereas now um, it's a blessing because um, I came up and I was able to write a book. Uh, I said, you know, I went to Mount Sinai and I was trying to get um, a hair transplant. And they said, that's not happening. And then I said, well, what can I do? And they said, well, there's no cure for alopecia. And I said, well, that's got to be bullshit. You know, there's got to be a cure. So um, it was a cold winter. I had just gotten a nose job, a revision on my nose, a nose job. And uh, I was at home. So I said, well, let's start doing all this research and stuff on how I can get my hair back. So I started looking at all the different cultures around the world and how they grow their hair back naturally and how they keep it long and strong. And then I started to put everything together. So all my notes, from all my notes, I thought was like, oh, my God. Okay, I think now I have a book here. You know, but I really wasn't, I was really, I just wanted to write everything out and then I was like, well, I think I can help somebody. And I didn't really want to take these photos of myself because I had no hair. It was all skin in the front. It was just all bald, completely bald, completely, absolutely bald from the beginning. This was me from the beginning. It was completely bald. And, uh, wow. yes. And, uh, and so, um, I had nothing and so then I, just started to work and I started seeing follicles and I started, started seeing things come back or whatever. And I said, oh my goodness, you're going to be able, I hate to take these photos or whatever and I'm not really happy with my hair and my state or whatever, but I said, you'll be able to help a lot of people with this. You'll be able to help them overcome this, you know. And at the same time as my hair was coming back in little by little also too as well, so was my self-esteem, so was my confidence as well. So I said, oh my goodness. So then the little kid in me, the entrepreneur in me, the, um, the person who's always worked since I was six years old, 
Um, with like, I think we have a hair product. <laughs> I think we're developing something here. I'm coming into my own hair, and then I have this book here. So I have now a hair product, Bald to Bold. Bald, coming soon. Uh, yes, yes, coming soon. And the book. The, this, the book, and that's Bald, B-A-L-D, the number two, and then Bold, B-O-L-D. I was going to read the Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and, so uh, what's and next then, for you? What's, what's next for you? Uh, what's next for me now is to redefine what is uh, black and beautiful, really black and beautiful in America. I feel as a, as a people, we have sort of gotten sort of lost. I'm still, um, you know, I have the documentary film that I'm in, Born to Be, and I'm still, um, that's doing very, very well. We went to the New York Film Festival. Uh, so we went from this little uh, small documentary film to um, now being invited to the New York Film Festival to selling out the New York Film Festival. And, um, and we went to the Hamptons Film Festival. And then we've been now invited to uh, other film festivals around the country. And uh, so it's making its way and it's doing its thing. Things great. Right. And uh, so I'm making my way around the country with that. And uh, I will be also going back of 2020, January, I'll be going back to Europe. I plan on going to Ukraine and, and Czechoslovakia. They're doing something very different. Um, in Ukraine right now, um, whereas they put Lapita on the cover of Vogue uh, every once in a while in America, they have many Lapitas in, wow. in Europe. And they celebrate them. Really? They celebrate them, and they and they actually put a lot of unknown girls, uh, you know, you know, with very very short hair, uh, you know, and you don't, you know, on the on the cover of, of Vogue magazine. So they're it's, they're going doing something very different, especially with Ukraine and Czech, Czech Republic, and uh, so I'll be. Those are my first two stops. I'm extremely excited. I plan on definitely making my way back to. South Africa, which, which I love, and I just have a huge love in my heart for. But I want to come back to America, and I want to really work on redefining as a people what is black and beautiful in America, because I feel that we have gotten lost in, I'm all for wig. Don't get me wrong, people. Just, let's not get this confused. I love a wig, and I love a change, okay? Um, but I feel that we've gotten lost in the wigs, we've gotten lost in the waves, We've gotten lost in the hair color and lashes and these like triple layers of makeup and everything like that. And I feel like that now every woman has to put on this like costume makeup, costume wig, costume whatever, lashes or whatever with this whoosh, whoosh, you know, Elvira like, you know, bigger so they are, the more, you know, everything like that to, um, to be considered beautiful. And it's like, nah, man. Cute. Well, we need to stop it. We need to stop it. We need to, what is, we need to just be, feel beautiful from who you are, from within your spirit. And then you can be just natural and drink a lot of water and eat healthy and um, change your diet and, and, and have beautiful skin naturally that glows with cocoa butter and all sorts of things like that. And, uh, and that's what's beautiful to me. And I think now what we are seeing slowly now is um, this reemergence of like natural hair, which is so awesome, you know, and everything. We are all a work in progress. Nobody is perfect. And that's what I realized, too, as well, is that when I said, well, oh, my gosh, what are you going to do? I had a, a podcast show that I was doing. And they were coming, and I said, oh, my goodness, am I, this is my, am I going to throw on the wig? They're on the way. They said they're in the car service. Okay, all right. They're on my way to my house. And I was so nervous, and I said, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Because I'm, I'm, I'm like, am I going to throw on the wig? I was nervous about whether I'm going to throw on the wig or not. What am I going to do? You're at this moment. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to wear this. It, it was, you know, I had on, like, a little African wraps that I was doing for a while. And I just sort of wrapped this thing up. And I just kind of like, in a wrap, like, you know, I thought that was very cool, you know, because I wasn't wearing a wig, and that was the first time out on camera with this. And it just was a very free feeling, you know what I mean, and, and no makeup. And it just, you know what I mean, so that's where I am at with things, you know. I just want to bring back to my people. Um, also, to I wish, you know, the music, 
Um, like there was a time where we, you know, we didn't have, we, you know, we, we didn't have much, but you know, the music would carry you through the day. I feel like, you know, so the music, if we could just get back that, um, say it loud, I would just give anything for a say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud moment again in America, just the feeling of, you know, um, of unity and us getting together to support each other and I'm truly a, I truly believe it. I'm really a believer that it can happen. I really, and I'm good. I'm doing everything that I can as a as a trans woman to make a difference. I'm the only woman that's out as a trans black woman that's wearing natural hair. That I know of in America, that's wearing her natural hair. So we are starting there, and I said the reason why I did that, and that was a purpose, purposely about uh, all thing. Is because I wanted young black people to see themselves in these images. I'm now the face of Born to Be, um, and identify with uh, because the first thing you see when you see a person of color, a black person in an ad is, "Ooh, that's a black person," and you just sort of like you Thanks. click on it, you zero in on it, you just blur. You're like, okay, and you just sort of still to the day. It's sad to say that we're approaching 2020. When you see a black person on TV or in these images and media, that we still you're still shocked that you still see that, and I wanted to make sure that when people see me, they know for sure they're not looking at a transgender white woman, tan white woman, with blonde hair. Yes. Mahogany, I, I am so honored. Or European style straight hair, <laughs> and that I'm not trying to conform, or Anybody that they feel that they have to conform to European standards to be successful uh, in the world. Just be who you are. Just be your, whether you're trans or not, just be. Just be. And have faith. And, and, and don't lose faith because, and, and, and don't think that you can do anything with, without faith because it ain't going to work. It might work for a little while, but it's not going to work for very, very long because um, you have to have faith in your life in order for things to to work or you'll still be given the same test over and over again until you pass those tests, until you come to that realization. So you have to have um, whatever faith it is that you believe in, um, you have to have faith involved. It has to be a part of the program. Mahogany, I could talk to you forever. Uh, it has been such a delight to have you on the show, and I'm honored that uh, you, you came on our show and, and told your story. I, you know, I, there's just so much. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know how I'm going to end this, but well, <laughs> I'll figure it out. But I just, I thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I just thank you. I, I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> and that's our show.